happy Pride Month to you. Happy Pride, Dave. Happy Pride. Are we going to be going to any Prides? I don't know. Do you think? Are there any? I, I, I honestly have not even looked into it or, or thought about it until this moment. Thought, no, yeah, same. Um, I, I don't know whether they ever made a deter. Let's actually do this in real time. Did they actually make yeah. a determination about whether there would be any kind of I got to believe there is no way in which the, the West Hollywood is not having a pride. Okay, it kicks off. We're recording this on Wednesday. Matt, it kicks off tomorrow night with Charlie XCX. I'm, we're finding this out. As what? it's happening, um, but I mean, hold on, is that is that happening in person? Oh, live streamed exclusively on TikTok. Oh, lord! It's on TikTok. Uh, there's a Pride uh, Thrive with Pride celebration on ABC Seven. Ellen Leva, Brandy Hit, Carl Schmid, um, the Gay Men's Chorus. Literally, we were finding this out in real time. Um, okay, uh, Big Sunday. There's a calendar of yeah, nothing's really happening. I but if you want to pull but out your drive TikTok. down to Santa Monica and Robertson, it's gonna be something's gonna happen. Packed, right? Something's, There's no world in which something's yeah. bound to happen. You know, I uh, dreaded all Pride. Uh, it's not so much the parade. I like the parade for 30 minutes, but like you know the the big parties and whatever. I was like from the jump, I was always like, oh, I don't like crowds and I don't like the you know bouncy bouncy music and all that kind of thing. I'm dying to get back to one of those fucking things. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Dying to like uh, text somebody I haven't talked to in five years to be like, "Hey, can you get me into that uh, rooftop yes. party on top of the fucking Pally Hotel?" Oh God, yes, absolutely. I want to. I want to be surrounded by uh, you know a group of gay teenagers from Covina. You know what I mean? Who are yes. just like you know, there are five of them, and like two of them have crushes on the other three, and it's messy, and it's yeah. only going to get messier as they drink Michelob Ultras in the hot, hot sun. Um, I want... Yes, but you get so drunk that you're weirdly invested absolutely. in their relationships. Absolutely. You're trying to give them advice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I want wanna... all that. I want to run into that guy that I used to buy Coke from in the bathroom at 11. Oh, come on. 11. Boy, you're you taking know. me back. I want to I wanna go into that weird, like, I, they don't even have it anymore, but, like, I want to be under a tent with, like, the Gay and Lesbian Clogging Association. Let them do their thing. Oh. Um, I want to go into Erotic City where they have the, you know, erotica the, demos. The yeah, that's always my favorite thing because it's like it's they will demonstrate like flogging as though it were like a new floor wax. Like it's look how look how this works <laughs> and you do it in a crosshash yeah. motion and whatever. It's so unsexy. Totally devoid of sex. Yes, a hundred percent antiseptic. Um, yeah, I just I want to I want to be in a crowd and complain about it again. I just really do. I really do. Next oh, year, perhaps. Oh, Until then, there's always TikTok. Are you on TikTok? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Are you? Yeah, I said the same. But uh, no. But uh, somebody said to me recently, like that that saying no is the equivalent of, you know, five years ago saying I would never be on Instagram. Oh. Okay. That it's that it is inevitable. It's coming for us. Do you want to do it now? Do you want to do it later? That that's the way it's being framed, and I, I'm still resisting yeah. it too. But I can't imagine what it would bring to my life. I've heard there's like good recipe TikToks, but yeah. I also have like a cabinet full of uh, cookbooks that I never open. So, I yeah, I just I don't, don't need any of that. Uh, Luke Null, 
uh, formerly of Saturday Night Live, um, on Instagram. He's just at Luke Null. Um, his algorithm on TikTok, for whatever reason, only brings him mentally ill people doing sketch comedy. And so, and so he posts oh, them on his Instagram story, and it's always, uh, it's always a ride. Um, oh, mentally ill. people. I mean, maybe not mentally ill people, but comedy. definitely like people who you're concerned about. You're a little worried. Yeah. About. That reminds me, uh, Bo Burnham's special yes. on Netflix, Inside. God damn it. That is my recommendation of the month of the year. Yeah. I mean, it is God. just so, so brilliant. He's so fucking talented at so many things. Um, it, it makes me angry, but it's also inspiring in the same way. Like, it, it's, it's, yeah. uh, he, I mean, you've, if you're listening to this, you are you know you've heard about Bo Burnham's inside certainly by now. But it, he has expanded what a comedy special is and can look like and can be and can feel like and and all of it. And it's just it's super it's super inspiring. And then in the middle, he uh, yeah. says he's turning thirty, and certainly our hearts bleed for him. Um, oh, I know that's what we were talking about this before we recorded. That I was like. How, why is it that I have don't know much about Bo Burnham? I used to be so like feel like I was kind of connected to the sort of like popular indie yeah. comics, and that's yeah. the moment that I realized he's thirty. He was he was a child yeah. when I was. Yeah. Sort of on uh, but the I, of I, yes, will world. rage be one of the emotions that you feel? Yes, uh, envy. Yes, but it's also funny and 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 thought provoking, and it's fucking it's good as hell. Inside and hacks. Our our recommendations are as basic as they come, but these things are very good. So consume them. We're simply telling you the things that the entire internet has already told you are amazing, are in fact amazing. Speaking of things that uh, the internet's going to be going crazy over, this book, Cat Candid by Gina Yashere, this week's guest, she is uh, a stand-up, and obviously uh, an author also uh we talked about this so she she co-created yeah. and stars no big in deal. Uh, the show bob hart's abishola on cbs i mean what can she not do um she's uh she is truly super fascinating and so funny and i mean and a fucking great author <sighs> i'm telling you the the talent the talent in this town i don't know where bo burnham is it's crushing let's not waste another second Gina Yashere. Okay, Yashere, just in case you don't know how to pronounce oh. the name. Because I know. Oh, we got it. Okay. All right. Come on now. Oh, just double Gina. checking. Uh, yeah. You have to be vigilant. That sometimes people say it wrong. Yeah, all the time. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Do they usually think it's Yashir? Yashir. What is the normal? Yashir. I get right. Yashir a lot and I'm like, <laughs> No. Yeah. That's got to be painful. Very. As I was, uh, as I got to the part uh, uh, of your book where you are in a club yeah. in 1990. Oh, in New York. <laughs> uh, no, no. no I believe, I, th- I think it's in London. Um, but as I, I got into that part, I was listening to BBC Radio 6 and they started playing Jazzy's Groove. 
from soul to soul, <laughs> oh, which is which is what is playing yes. in that scene. Yes. So I just want you to know that you have control of the airwaves subliminally, whether there you know you it or not. There you go, man. I'm special. I don't know if you realize this yet. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's I think that's clear. Very clear. Absolutely crystal clear. Uh, Gina, where are you? I am in Los Angeles. Well, in Altadena. Oh. Yes, which okay. is where I live now. I was living in North nice. Hollywood. And uh, mm-hmm. after I watched a guy take a shit in a box, I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I need to move to a quieter, more chill area. I mean, at least he sure. put it in recycling afterwards. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. But yes, yeah, so yeah. I moved out to nature and quiet. <laughs> Good. Good. And somewhere a new box and a new human being are being created through the recycling program. But there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. Where were you in North Hollywood? Uh, right behind where the old Ha Ha Comedy Club used to be, off of Lancashire oh, yeah. Boulevard. It's, okay. Um, the Arts District. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. Sure. It was walkable. It was really, I, I thought it was very cool. But I just feel like I just aged out of it. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit and then it's just... It became like the zombie apocalypse of meth heads and just wandering around, yeah. just screaming. So I was like, you know what? I'm too old for this shit. I'm going to go and live somewhere yep. quiet where I just I yeah. hear nothing but birds in the morning and crickets at night. And I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> is gorgeous. Oh, I love it. Love it here. I didn't even know it existed. It was um, uh, a member of staff on the, my show that was like, come to Altadena. And I was like, where is that? Are there black people there? Because I'm not going there unless there's at least, I see at least one other black person per day. I don't want to be the only one in the village. But it turns yeah. out it's 22% black. So I'm like, well, let me do it. All right. Yeah. Nice. And it's, and it's doing you well. Doing me fantastically. Perfect place to write. Do Zooms, chill. Love it. Mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. stags walking by in the morning, bears going through my trash. It's pretty wonderful. <laughs> wow. LA is magic. The coyotes? Are the coyotes coming and for you yet? The coyotes. And I've got a little dog, so yeah. I'm like, uh, I've got her on a tether the whole time, and I'm like, coyote, get in the fucking house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've got to make sure my baby doesn't get eaten. But other than that, we love yes. it. Good. I'm in Eagle Rock, and they oh, are everywhere. Well, there's know, psychological warfare happening between me and the guy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, but I love Eagle Rock. It's nice. Yeah. And, and when you're uh, when you're cozied up in Altadena at the end of the day, what are you watching, reading, listening to, consuming? Everything. Um, and we've been watching. I like. I watch. Uh, I'm watching High on the Hog right now, which is a documentary series about the food and the origins of how a lot of the Southern cooking all originated from Africa that was brought over by the slaves. And it's basically just me, hours of watching people eat delicious food and trying Mm, not to salivate and just stuff my face. Um, Comedies, I'm watching a show called Breeders. I'm watching, I literally watch everything that is on right now. Like everything, uh, house shows. I'm obsessed with house shows right now. Like, because yeah. I just moved house and we're doing renovations on the place. So I've just been watching. I've watched every single episode of House Hunters, House Hunters Renovation, Boise Boy, like everything. Property Brothers, not a big fan, but everybody else, yeah, fantastic. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Those are great. It's it, you get resolution in 22 minutes. Yep, it's perfect. Uh, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Unfortunately, can... I'm not getting that kind of resolution on my renovations. I just found out my no. contractor uh, who built my new half bath that we added to the house had not connected it. So we've been pissing and shitting in the basement for the last two weeks. 
Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. He didn't connect it. So every time we flashed, the water just went straight into the basement. Sewage, just straight into the underneath the house. Oh, no. So, oh, uh, no. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, that's um, difficult. So, um, And I hope that he that's a thing where he comes back and cleans it Oh, up. no. I'm suing him. He's out. Uh, we, we, oh, we've God. got another plumber to check his work, and they're the ones that discovered. They're like, um... Your toilet is not connected. <laughs> it's just been flushing. Oh. There's just a pile of pee and t- toilet paper down underneath your house. Luckily, it was not the poo toilet, so thank God. It was just oh, you were trying wow. to escape the poo from yeah, North Hollywood, exactly. and that's why we fled yeah, to Altadena. Probably the guy shitting in a box is just in my basement right now, just chilling. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but hey, fun times, great times. <laughs> So what did you um, watch? What were your big inspirations growing up? Uh, you know, influences that you can st- kind of still see yourself in now? I mean, not can I, I can still necessarily see myself in now, but as a kid, I was desperate to live in America. I wanted to be in America. I was watching shows like Different Strokes, and I was like, uh, I want to be adopted by a rich white man and have a maid. Um a Cosby show, those kind of shows. Then as I got older, it was all MTV. <laughs> Yo MTV Raps, MTV mm. Cribs, Downtown Judy Brown. That's all the stuff that I was watching. And then, yeah, you know, there was Fresh Prince and all, you know, you know the, the usual suspects. But all the mm. dreams of coming to America were, were built into the, just baked into those TV shows. Yeah, God. Aspirational. Um, have you caught up with uh, downtown Julie Brown in the years since? No, I don't know. I Googled her when I was writing the book because I mentioned her in the right. book saying how yeah. she was living my dream life. Because I was like, this is a black British woman on MTV in America. That is my dream life. So I followed her avidly for a long time. And um, yeah, I Googled her when I was writing the book to see what she's been up to. And she's, I think she's married to some rich dude and just chilling right now. Uh, but I've never sure. met her in person. <laughs> uh, she's lovely. Couldn't be nicer. Oh, really? I, Were I, you yeah. there at the yeah. same time, Dave? No, 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 no. This no. was, she was a decade or so. Be- nah, yeah, I guess about a decade or so before me. Maybe yeah, eight she years. Um, but yeah, j- delightful. Just what you wanted to be. Oh, thanks. Tons of fun. <laughs> it's crazy how huge she was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, yeah, it was the original VJs and then her. Yeah. And it was like, well, wait a minute. Who's who's this who's just moved in? Oh, it was amazing. With this bewitching accent and these strange catchphrases. <laughs> Loved um, it. Yeah, she was, she was incredible. I didn't realize Club MTV went out outside oh, yeah. of yeah. the U.S. We got, we got MTV. We had all the shows. And so mm-hmm. as a kid, I thought, my God, Americans have a way better life. You know, when I was yeah. a child, it was like they got better candies than us, better toys. Kids seemed, they, all the kids seemed to live near a beach because every show I watched, kids were near the beach. And then after school, yeah. they were riding around on their bicycles, solving crimes. You know, I was like, yeah. uh, why am I in England? I'm supposed to be an American. And I never really yeah. felt like I belonged and I couldn't wait to get out. Yeah. And I think you found the only part that is true is the constantly solving crimes on your bicycle. Uh, well, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're constantly not, doing that. I'm not fit enough to do that now on a bicycle. I need like a bus or something. But Yeah. <laughs> You know, listen, you evolve, <laughs> you adapt over time. There's a, there's a moment uh, in Cack Handed, your yes, memoir, yes. where your record collection gets uh, gets nicked. Oh. I was just using some British slang. Oh, yeah, um, that bitch. Can, can, yeah. Uh, can we talk about what was in that record collection? Oh, I had, I mean, I was a massive 
hip hop fan in the nineties. Uh-huh. I was at a club yeah. every week, uh, doing <laughs> doing um, the Running Man in the clubs mm-hmm. and, and learning all my dance moves from hip hop videos on MTV. So I had Big Daddy Kane, I had Public Enemy, I had De La Soul, oh. I had oh. Sweet Tea, I had Queen Latifah, Moni Love, like oh. massive uh, Bismarcky, like all the all the hip hop giants of that time. I had the entire collection on vinyl. That was my jam. I was a mad hip hop fan. And some funk in there, some George Clinton. I had some George Clinton in there, Funkadelics. Yeah. Uh, Liked a little bit of soul, Link Link, Link Collins, James Brown, bit of Michael, a lot of Prince, you know, I had a nice mixture, but it was mainly funk and soul, like 80s and 90s hip hop. Have you rebuilt that vinyl collection? It's all on Spotify now. <laughs> so okay. okay. I didn't never bought the vinyl again. I've still got some of the vinyl, but she took most of it. But um, you know, with the digital stuff, it's pretty cool. I can listen listen to it anywhere in the car, or whatever. So I just go play me, Public Enemy, and all the relatives, and 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 it's pretty fantastic. It is. However, one of the last major holdouts to streaming is De La Soul. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Which is I, a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, I bought their last album. I'm sure, didn't I stream their last album? I've definitely got their last album. You know what? I bought it. I bought Possibly it. their new stuff yeah, yeah. is licensed for streaming. But yeah. like Three Feet High and Rising and yeah. all that has not been. It's They keep saying it's about, to, it's about to come out on streaming. It's about to come out. Hasn't come out yet. I think I, uh, I'm sure come, I repurchased it. I thought I repurchased it. I'm sure I was listening to it. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I... Because I, I had a, yeah, I had a uh, whole cache of downloaded music from back in the day when you used to buy your music and download it to yeah. your computer. So yeah. I've still yeah. got a load of downloaded stuff. So maybe that's okay. what I listened to. But that's probably what you were listening to. Oh, but that to. was one but of yeah. my favorite albums. I used to want to be in De La Soul. So, but I had the same haircut as them. In fact, I've kind of reverted back to this. I had this haircut when I was 19 and now I've got it again at 47. So Nice. <laughs> It suits you. Still pulling it off flawlessly. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, Three Feet High and Rising is just unparalleled. Master. It's so creative and and insane. Masterpiece uh, of an album. Masterpiece. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd you go, De La Soul? Yeah. So um, we have to talk about your grandmother because she's such yes. a big part of of the book, and it, the book starts out with this really great kind of like historical overview of Nigeria and how colonialism shaped your family. And it all really starts with your grandmother. And she's this fascinating character because she's married to this very important chief. Mm -hmm. She is the first of his many wives. She's the favorite Mm -hmm. um, of his wives. So can you just tell us a little about, about your connection to her and, um, and yeah, why, why your mother calls you. <laughs> so basically my grandmother, um, yeah, as, uh, as you just said, she was married to a chief. So my mother's mother married to a chief uh, in Nigeria. Polygamy was practiced a lot back then. Still kind of is in certain tribes. And uh, so she was one of many wives, but she was the number one wife. So she was kind of the more powerful wife and the favored wife of her husband. And so the other wives didn't like her. And um she had a lot of kids, she kept, you know, because the children are almost a commodity. You know, the more kids, the, the better you're off you are. And uh, she, had, she kept having, she had a lot of children and um, she had 11, over 11 children then in the end. But all her sons kept dying. Mysterious circumstances, either being attacked by dogs or just dying mysteriously. And she was convinced that the other wives were killing her sons because in Nigeria is a super patriarchal society. So the sons are the most important babies. The girls, yeah, the boys are the most important ones. So, but 
So her power was almost, they were trying to diminish her power by killing all her sons. So my mother actually has no full mother and father brothers. She's got many half brothers, but no brothers because all of them died before they were like four years old. And so, you know, my grandmother was like, you know, these wives are trying to kill me. My mother, who was her eldest daughter, was a favored child as well. And so my grandmother was saying to my grandfather, look, they're trying to kill me. And if anything happens to me, make sure you send my daughter out of Nigeria so they don't get to her. Because my mother was being educated by my dad. They don't usually educate girl children. They usually just, you know, groom them for wifedom and motherhood. But because my mum was quite intelligent, her father was taking her, to, sending her to school and private schools and, and, and having her travel with him. So the other wives were now jealous of my mother. They killed the brothers. So now they were focusing their wrath on my mum. So my grandmother... You know, before she died, she used to tell funny stories, you know, about how when I come back, I'm not going to have all these kids. I'm not going to be married to a chief. I, I don't want any man in my life. I don't want no kids. I'm going to be I'm going to be in England. I'm going to be I'm going to speak perfect English. I'm going to do a man's job. I'm going to be free. I'm going to live a life of freedom and, and just do what I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And they used to go, oh, yeah, whatever. And uh, she ended up dying. Um, we believe the family believes that she was poisoned eventually by the other wives. And when she died, she died with a mark on her throat, either from them trying to, I don't know, get the poison out of the throat or whatever the marks of scratching at her throat, whatever it was, she died with a mark on her throat. And I was born years later with this birthmark on my throat. And Nigerians believe in reincarnation. So when I came out with this mark on my throat, my mum was like, oh my God, my mother has returned. I, I'm a reincarnation of my grandmother. And I turned out to be all the things that my grandmother insisted that she was, you know, she was going to be when she came back. You know, I've done several jobs that uh, traditionally men's job. I used to be an engineer and a stand-up comic, which is very much not that friendly towards women. I have no kids. I've traveled the world. I've lived my life on my own terms. And so whenever my mum is like, um, so this lesbian thing, I don't like this lesbian. I'm like, mum, this is what your mother wanted. She said she didn't want kids. She didn't want to be beholden to any man. Uh, so <laughs> I am the archetype of that. I am yeah. the reincarnation. So you can't say shit, basically. <laughs> yeah, she manifested this. Absolutely. Mm. Um, in the book, she, your mother ins insists that the news of uh of your in the book lesbianity not get not get back to nigeria yes um have to imagine it has oh yeah i, I mean, mean yeah yeah when i first came out to mom she, my mom she wasn't happy she's nigerian she's christian you know she got that right. christianity beaten into her as a child you know so she believed what the <laughs> colonizers told her about homophobia uh, about homosexuality so yeah she was not impressed she was not happy but the love of her child kind of uh, over, she overcame that, which was good. Yeah. And we just didn't really talk about it. You know, she knew, she knew who my girlfriends were and she'd be like, oh yes, yeah, your friend. Okay, I don't want to talk about it. Yes, it's your friend, shut up, I don't want to know. So, and that's how we kind of circumvented that whole issue. I was just happy to still have my mum in my life and the fact that she still wanted me as her daughter and that she wasn't gonna, you know, disown me. And we just sort of floated around that. And, you know, eventually she came, my, my girlfriend Nina I'm with now, my mum absolutely adores her. Uh, when yeah. Nina insisted on meeting her, and when she did meet her, she 
my Nina bowed before my mum as a show of respect because she'd been Googling uh, how to respect Nigerian parents. And my mum fell in love with her immediately. She's like, oh, I like this. Of course. I like this white woman. I like her a lot. And yeah. so her and my mum are just great friends right now. My mum adores her. Every time she calls, where's Nina? Where is Nina? So yeah. it, it's a beautiful end to the story. But yeah, she didn't, but even then, she's still like, okay, I know, I love Nina, I love you guys, it's wonderful, you know, you guys are great, but do you have to keep talking about this lesbianism? Do you have to, <laughs> just keep it quiet, just between us, just, eh? But now she's in her age, she's at that point in her life where she kind of doesn't give a shit anymore. And, great. yeah, and she's like, ah, you know, she doesn't even, it, it, she doesn't flinch. Like, uh, I was on CBS Morning News uh, the other day, and they did a whole piece on me, and a whole piece on my mum, and they mentioned... Uh, my lesbianity and my mum uh-huh. and I sent the video to my mum and my mum kept talking about the video how great it was and how much she was in it because my mum has got a healthy ego she was like oh yes and then the, the part of the video where they showed me standing up and the other part of the video where they showed me the... so she loved the video and didn't even mention the fact that they talked about the fact that I'm lesbian and that she has relatives in America and all over the world who are going to see it. She didn't even mention it. It was all about, and they talked about me and they all saw me. Yeah. So I'm kind of, oh, so I yeah, it. I think she's kind of over it now, which is great. Yeah. How, um, how, how do you feel with a, uh, with a fresh memoir? Are you nervous? I'm excited and nervous. I want people to read it. Yeah. I think it's really good. When I was writing it and I was in it, I was like, I don't know whether this is good or not. I don't know whether this is interesting. I don't know whether it's yeah. funny. I'm just going to write the story and just hope people like it. And I'm sending out, sending it out to various people, friends and family to read it and go, what do you think? What do you think? Is it any good? Am I writing a bunch yeah. of bullshit here? And people are like, no, it's really good. It's good. But I never really believed them because they're friends and family. But right. I finally started to realise how good it was when I went in to do the audio recording. And I'm reading it myself and I'm like, no, this is pretty good. And then the sound engineer was like, oh my God, when are you coming in to do the next load of chapters? Because I need to hear the rest of this. I need... So from the sound engineer who has heard a million books, recorded a million books, yeah. recorded a, a million TV shows, is like, it's next Saturday, that's a whole week. I cannot wait a whole week to hear this next chapter. What? The... You know, so then I was like, oh, uh, this, this is pretty good then. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> We've all read so many comedian memoirs and this stands apart because your life is is just so you you've lived so many lives like you mentioned that when you were an uh, engineer Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that and how you then took the leap to comedy yeah so i my last job as an engineer i studied electrical electronics engineering that's what i got my qualifications in and um my last job was working for otis building and repairing elevators for a living um i was their first female engineer in their 100 year history in the uk their first which sounds amazing but it was absolutely fucking horrible um <laughs> it was awful um i was first woman i was black i was 21 years old and i'm coming into this industry which is 99.9 percent dominated by white men and i came in qualified so I came in at the same level as a lot of these guys who were married with kids and houses and they're like who's this little black girl coming in on the same level as us and not knowing that I studied the subject I'd worked previously as an engineer I was coming in more than qualified for the job and I went through a baptism of fire of sexism misogyny racism I'd come in, you know I worked on a, a construction site that was my office construction site and you're not indoors. There's no HR on a construction site to say, uh, you're not allowed to say that. You can't say that. You can't call her that. 
So I was routinely called the N-word to my face. I'd come into work Jeez. and uh, they'd hung up pictures of gorillas and monkeys above my overalls. I'd go, uh, I'd go to put my overalls on and there were banana skins in my pockets. And as I'm throwing this stuff out, they're laughing at me. So that's what I put up with for four years, but I refused to be pushed out of the job refused i stuck it out for four years i was like you guys are not gonna drive me out this job i'm as i'm better than you you're just gonna have to come to terms with it so i stuck it out you know at one point i had to pull aside a, a guy and threaten him physically and just said look you call me the n-word again uh, i've got two brothers i will send them both to your house because i know where you live and he never spoke to me again and, and the guys kind of laid off after a while but um that, so it wasn't the racism and, and that pushed me out of the job, it was the misogyny. So what happened was, after four, you know, I'm working, I'm doing all the things to get the promotions that you're supposed to get. You do a certain amount of time, you get a certain amount of skill, you get promoted. I was getting the promotions, they were giving me the money, but they wouldn't give me the responsibility that went with that promotion. So, you know, at one point I'm supposed to now be qualified to run my own site, my own construction site. And I was like, well, I've got the qualifications. You've given me the, you know, I've got the experience. You've given me the promotion and the pay, the pay rise to go with it. Where is the responsibility? And they're like, well, uh, we're worried if you're working on your own on a site, you might fall down there and, uh, and hurt yourself and hurt your womb or something and not be able to have babies. And furthermore, I don't think the guys are going to listen to a girl running the site. So we'll just leave you where you are. And uh, so I decided to go to a grievance hearing. I decided to take it to the top brass of the company. My union, who I'd been paying into for four years, refused to represent me. Uh, they, the union rep was like, uh, I don't know about this women's stuff, so I ain't coming. So I had to represent myself at this grievance he he hearing with the top brass of the company, 21-year-old black girl, bunch of old white men. Obviously, I lost. They were like, nah. We're, we're fine, we're, do, we're doing nothing wrong here, off you go. So I decided at that point, I need to get out. And I asked them to lay me off. And uh, I said, look, if you don't lay me off, I'm gonna go public with what, what has been going on with this company. So give me my money, let me go. And so I left that job and it was in that time, that happened to be in the summertime. And so I was like, well, it's the summer. I'm gonna enjoy myself, do all the things that I've always wanted to do. I'm gonna go do an acting workshop. I'm gonna do stand up. I'm gonna do, because people had always told me that I should be a performer. And uh, I'll enjoy my summer. And at the end of that summer, I'll go back to engineering. I'll get another engineering job. Well, that was 26 years ago. I never ended up going back. The comedy just took off. And I just yeah. kept going, all right, I'll keep doing this for a bit longer and see how it goes. I'll, all right, I'll do it a little bit longer. It's going quite well. I'll keep doing this. And it just continued until present day. <laughs> That is the the experience of having any real soul sucking job, yeah. particularly the one that you described that is awful in countless ways, yeah. will make you appreciate how great a life in comedy and the arts is. Oh yeah, I, I mean, mean, not that it doesn't come with its own challenges. Oh yeah, but I mean, every interview I do, people go, "Oh, what's it like being a woman comic? Is it hard?" And I'm like, I built elevators for a living, and. Yeah. What, put, I, I went for, I went through that for, for for several years. Compared to that, being a woman can't stand up comic in a man's world is a walk in the park in comparison. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of set for me sure. up for, for this life uh, and for the hustles and the trials and tribulations of this business. So yeah, it kind of yeah. set me up in good stead. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's got to like fuel you up to succeed so that you never have to go back. Absolutely. I, I went yeah. and I, I'm a person that if I go for something, I throw myself at it 100%. I go, I'll throw everything at it. If it doesn't work, then I'll move on and try something else. But I will uh-huh. throw everything I've got at it to be the best at it. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about throwing yourself into a memoir. I mean, there's there's no audience. Yeah. There's no collaborators. No. There is just you and the blank page. Just me and a blank page. I wrote this myself. I wasn't planning yeah. to write it myself. I actually hired a ghostwriter. I was like, well, I've got the TV show Bob Hart Savage which has taken over my yeah. whole life. I've got no time to write this book. So I was like, let me get a ghostwriter. I will, and I met up with this woman and I we sat for hours and I tell her my stories and she recorded it. And then, and then she was going to write it and then send it to me. And then I kind of generalize it up and punch it up. But what she wrote, I was like, this is not me, not me at all. Yeah. It's, she just didn't get my vibe, didn't get my, my cadence, just didn't get anything. And I was like, I can't put this out in the world. So I had, to, I fired her basically. I fired her. And I had to start again from scratch. And luckily for me, <laughs> the pandemic hit. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, nobody will ever hear that sentence come out of someone else's mouth. <laughs> luckily for me, the pandemic hit. But that's exactly what happened. The pandemic hit. And I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. I ju- you know, I'd finished the first season of the show. And uh, so we had like a three month hiatus. And I was like, well, in uh, in that three months, I'm going to just knock out of as much of this book as possible because I'm not going, you know, usually I was planning to go on the road and go back on tour during the hiatus and that didn't happen. So I was stuck at home. So I just knuckled down and just started writing this book. And uh-huh. I wrote this book in the pandemic. And even when I went back to work on second season of the show, I was doing 40, 50 hour weeks on the show in the writer's room, writing the scripts, then going on set and taping. And then after that, I'd come home at whatever time, whether it's nine, 10 o'clock at night, and then I'd write through till four in the morning. Yeah, so that's what I was doing. Yeah, yeah I just worked around it. What was the most difficult part of, of the writing process for you? Um, I'm not that disciplined and I'm a mad procrastinator. So I, yeah. I'm not one of those people that can go, right, I'm going to write three hours a day, every day. I'd, yeah. I'd just go, I'd get in and go, all right, I'm going to write. And I'd sit down and write. And then I wouldn't write anything else for like three weeks. I wouldn't even look at it because my brain, I'm just like, and then I go, oh shit, there's a oh, deadline. I've got to write some more chapters. Oh, I've only got three months to hand this book in. And that's how I wrote. Yeah. It was like just sporadic splurges of, yeah. of, of writing. And, but I found it cathartic. Um, cause you know, um, I didn't realize I was still holding on to certain feelings from my childhood, like the particular chapter about my horribly abusive stepfather. When I was writing that chapter, the anger, the fury, the hatred all came right back up like it was yesterday. So oh, yeah. yeah, that was kind of interesting writing those sure. chapters and, 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 and those feelings coming up and then being able to let those feelings out onto the page and just feeling so much better and feeling cleansed afterwards. But there was also lots of funny stuff that happened. It wasn't all doom and gloom and depression and racism, sadness and, and abuse there. You know, uh, uh, there were some fun things. <laughs> yeah. It's a very funny book. Yeah. Oh, but there thank are, you. you know, I mean, 
but they, but it's, and some of the darkest parts are some of the funniest parts. Yeah. <laughs> and it, but it's interesting that you that you say you're not a disciplined person because yeah. that was such an important value of your mom, yeah. and you talk about that in the book. So, do you think that it that part your lack of discipline, as you describe it, is kind of like in in reaction? Yeah, to that? I think it was a rebellion because uh, my mother was such a harsh disciplinarian, so I rebelled against everything so you know i you know i i bungee jumps i rode motorbikes i did everything all the things that my mum would have hated me to have done and you know i was good at school academically only because i had a good memory i was really good at memorizing stuff so that's why i was able to just memorize stuff and regurgitate it onto the page and then forget it the moment i walked out the exam room but yeah, I've never, I've always been, my brain has always been all over the place. I've never been totally disciplined and focused, but I, I could harness it for when I, those moments that I really needed it. Sure. And it's, you know, I mean, you are dealing with some heavy emotional content, yes. so it makes sense that you would, you know, practice yes. avoidance yes. <laughs> during yeah. the process. Absolutely. That is, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Um, but engaging with it, you know, alone in a room. Yeah. Did it, was it, are you glad you did it? I'm glad I did it. I didn't know I could okay. do it. You know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm glad that I had to fire the, the, the ghost way. I'm glad I started again and did it myself because it's yeah. quintessential Gina on that page. It's all me. And I, I'm able to add another, you know, skill to my repertoire. I have written a book yeah. and I did it. And uh, yeah. Um, I didn't know I had the discipline. I didn't know I could do it. I didn't know if I'd be able to do it. And there were times when I was writing this book and I was like, I don't know. You know, when I first started writing it, I'd send chapters to the editor and she's like, nah. <laughs> you skipped whole, a load of stuff. You need to delve deeper into this subject. Because I was literally writing. And then I went to school. And it wasn't great. And then after that, it wasn't wonderful. Uh -huh. And I literally, and she was like, no, you have to delve deeper. Have to delve deeper. Hold on a second. My contractor, another contractor is calling me right now. I just want to make sure. Okay. That, no problem. Uh, We're obviously going to listen in. We're going to keep as, every yes. bit of this in the Hold on a second. <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry. No, no don't problem. be, please. How, how did it all turn out? Oh, good. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing everything thing at the same time. So mm -hmm. we bought the house and I was like, just let's just do everything and just do it once and then we never have to do anything again never move so i'm having plumbing electrical i had just had awnings fitted i had a pool put in Ooh. i had like just done everything it's a tiny pool trust me that's you'll have right. to get in it one at one at a time that's but right. it it gets very hot up here in altadena so i was like yeah i promised my missus if we bought a house i'm about views i love a view so we're up on the hill and i like views but my missus wanted a pool so i promised her if she let we bought this house with the view I will put a pool in, so I'm a doing a little it. tiny pool. Honestly, it's tiny. You'll find. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you already know this, being in LA for a while. Pool parties, nobody actually ever really gets in anyway. So you can still yeah. have pool parties, and we'll yeah. give you our information before we go. You can still have pool <laughs> parties. It's just all you need is a pool of Listen, any size. Go on my Instagram. You'll see how, uh, on my stories, or I've got a folder that says "pool reno." You see how small this pool is. Okay. We, we, Squeeze it onto this deck, but it's it's good enough. When it gets hot, you get in, you dip, you cool off, and you get out. That's you all you need. I can't even swim. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. How did you and your pool loving misses meet? 
I was performing at a festival called Mitch Fest, Michigan's Women's Festival. Mm -hmm. And it was a massive festival and it was just all naked lesbians running around in the woods with music and dancing and comedy and workshops and stuff. And I was booked to perform and they all camp. It's a massive campsite, but I do not camp. So uh, I was like, you have to put me in a hotel and then you're gonna have to drive me onto the site every day because I do not do tents and camp. I'm not shitting in a hole. I'm not doing that. I need a hotel. So the, the first day I was performing, I was booked to perform. Uh, they put me on a bus and they brought me onto the site and Nina, my girlfriend, was standing there. And she was there with her best friend, Gloria Bigelow, who was also a comedian. And Nina turned to Gloria and went, that's the woman I saw on Showtime. She's great. And then she's like, hi, I'm Nina. Uh, come with me. And she literally just grabbed my hand and just dragged me around and goes, I'm going to show you around. And she showed me around and we just became like that. And that's basically people going, how long have you known each other? And we're like, uh, 12 minutes. <laughs> Wow. And we just, we just clicked immediately. And I was living in New Los Angeles at the time. And a year before, I'd, uh, I was like, I'm leaving LA, I'm going to New York. I need to make money doing comedy and I wasn't making money. So I'd made a plan the year before to that in 12 months time, I'm going to be living in New York. And Nina lived in New York. So the universe was like, you're going to meet the love of your life and you're going to end up moving into New York, uh, moving to New York and moving straight in with her. And that's what we did. And that's where we lived happily for six years until Bob Hart's Abishola dragged us both back to LA. But now we're both very happy well, because yeah. LA is much better when you're actually making a living. Yeah, <laughs> when you have a sitcom on CBS. Yeah. <laughs> that you write and exactly. produce and co-created and you star in and yes all of it yeah uh, i'm getting all the checks all the checks as you should how, how did the show come to be what what was the you know sort of initial spark it came out of the blue um so i've been pitching shows for a long time trying to sell a story of my nigerian immigrant family you know mixed in with the comedy stuff and um nobody wanted it nobody knew what to do with it nobody got it so I'd kind of pitched it, been turned down by every network and then kind of given up on the idea. And I was back in New York just doing my thing, doing my stand up. And I get a call out of the blue from my agent saying, uh, Chuck Lorre wants to meet you. Chuck Lorre or Big Bang, Two and a Half Men, Young Sheldon, you know, Mike and Molly Fane wants to talk to you. So they flew me out to Los Angeles for this meeting. And I walked in the room and Chuck was like, okay, I've got an idea for a TV show. I want to make another show with Billy Gardell. I don't want it to be another Michael Molly. I want it to, I want the female pr protagonist to be Nigerian. And uh, we'd love you to help us create the show, consult on the show, because we are three white guys, because it was him, Eddie Gordetsky and Al Higgins who work with him on, on a lot of these shows. And they're, they're like, we're three old white guys. We cannot write this show. We need someone from the culture to help us make sure we get this right. And uh, that's how it came about. I, at first I was tempted to say no. In fact, I did when I left, I called my agent and I was like, nope, this sounds weird and exploitative and I want no parts of it. But luckily I have a younger brother and a best friend who will call me and scream at me and, and tell me I'm being a fucking idiot when I'm being an idiot. And that's what they did. They both called me from England and screamed at me for two hours in stereo. So then I was like, fine, I'll see what they want. So I stayed and got in a room with them. And once I got in the room with them, I realized that they were genuine that Chuck is a genius and he wanted to make a good show. And I said to him, fine, as long as you know that uh, there's certain things that I'm gonna say that have to be done and they have to be done. You cannot, you know, if you want the show to be done right and you wanna steer away from racist and stereotypical tropes, you have to listen to me. And they did. So I was like, fine. And I kind of fell in love with these guys. 
and I started working with them on it. And eventually, after a couple of days, they were like, oh yeah, you're not a consultant. You're a co-creator and a producer of this show. You're cre you're creating the show with us. So, and they just upped me to that. And obviously as a stand-up comic, uh, my dream gig has always been to be the best friend in someone else's sitcom, come in, steal the scene, bounce and use that to sell out comedy clubs and theaters. So I started creating a best friend character that they didn't know that I was creating for myself. I yeah. was like, mm -hmm. uh, you know what? Abishola needs a friend. She really needs a confidant. Don't you think she needs a confidant? And uh, yeah, we created this character. And uh, eventually when CBS showed an interest, Chuck and the guys were like, okay, so if you want to be in this show, because we know you want to be in the show, and if you want the role of Abishola, you're going to have to audition. And I was like, I don't want Abishola. I want the woman on the bus. Because yeah. she had no name. Kemi had no name at that point. And I was like, I want one on the bus. And Chuck looked at me and went, you're very fucking smart. <laughs> and that's how it all came about, just out of the blue. They literally, I said, I asked them how they found me. How did you find me? Did you see my Netflix specials? Did you see me on the Def Comedy Jam? Did you see me on the Daily Show? Did you see me on the Tonight Show? And they were like, uh, no, we just typed Nigerian female comic into Google. So thank God for Google is thank all I say. God. Thank God for Google. Thank God for Google. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. That is a modern success story, if I've ever heard one. Yeah. Yeah. Well Pretty done. Pretty fantastic. Well yeah. done. Cack Handed is the memoir. Yes. By Jenny Cack Handed Asher. is. Congratulations. You get your are books. You, I mean, pick up your are, copy. Yeah. What a delightful read. Uh, are you going to read reviews? Absolutely. I can't help myself. Okay. I, I, I'm one of those people that does Google myself once in a while. Okay. And uh, for the most part, I'm like, okay, this is cool. And then I, I see someone who writes something horrible and I'm like, you fuck. Uh -huh. But I will read the brief. And so far, we've had a couple of views, reviews come in and they've been phenomenal. Like great. really great reviews. Good. So I'm like, oh, thank God. People are liking it. Yeah. So yeah, fingers crossed. It will be good reviews, and the bad ones. I'll be like, "Well, you can't please everybody." I'm a comedian. Yeah. Like, I some people love me, some people hate me. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So I'm hoping that people who read the book are fans, and so they'll enjoy getting this, these other facets of who I am. You know? Yeah, exactly. And bad reviews are always written by stupid people, so just don't forget that. Exactly. It can, it exactly. can be ignored. Always. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It is a great <laughs> read. Uh, oh, thank you. And thank you so much for hanging out with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Sorry about all the weird glitches and holdups and things. But yeah, thank you so much.